0: actually going to read a few verses before that in 1 Corinthians 15, but um, then we'll read 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, concerning the collection of the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for just a chance to worship you this morning. Lord, thanks for your word and the truth of your word and the hope of the resurrection. Lord, thanks for you call together people to yourself. Lord, and call us to serve you. Lord, thanks for this passage. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd remove every distraction from us, that you'd open our hearts, that you'd teach us this morning, you'd encourage us God, help us to glorify you. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. There's an old hymn that we have mentioned and probably sung here uh, in the past, but it says, uh, it's kind of been the theme of what we started out this uh, year as, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Let them flow in endless praise. Praise, and then verse four. It says, "Take my silver and my gold; not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Every power as thou shalt choose." We we have been talking about uh, just that in Romans 12:1 and 2. God taking our lives and letting it be. And Romans 12:1 and 2 says, "This is our reasonable act." Of worship. This is what Christians um, are called to do. After all that Jesus has done for us, then we, it's reasonable for us to take our lives and lay it before Him as a living sacrifice. And you might say, well, it doesn't seem like God's, doesn't feel like God's done that much for me lately. I don't, I don't feel that. Well, I would just encourage you if that's how you feel this morning. One, admit it. There's nothing wrong with admitting it. But two, don't get stuck there. Just do a reality check this afternoon. Go home. If that's how you feel, like you just are frustrated with what God is doing in your life, and it doesn't feel like you've given your life, and God's not really uh, blessed you in those ways. Take a moment. Read Isaiah 40 this afternoon. And read Job 40 and 41 where it talks about God and he says, who created the world in Isaiah 40, who, who holds the oceans in the palm of his hand, who the, the mountains, the, the, the leaders of the world are like a drop in the bucket. And in Job, where God says to Job, after all Job went through, God's response to Job was, Job, were you there? Were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I made the stars? Were you there when I made the ocean? And Job's response to that was putting his hands over his mouth and realizing that he's not God. God's ways are not our ways, but we have been blessed. It's okay to feel that way. It's just not okay to stay that way. So take some moments and read Isaiah 40 and read Job 40 and 41, because what we are called to be as Christians in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it just is, is giving our lives as living sacrifice. And we said that's being a steward, a steward of somebody else's stuff. so A steward is someone who an owner entrusts with the management of his assets. That's what stewardship is. It's just being someone who has been entrusted with the care of someone else's stuff and other someone else's assets. And Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's probably not a more powerful verse in the Bible that goes so against the culture of our day. Psalm 24 one says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. And we have been given as followers of christ the stewardship the owner of it all god has entrusted it to us and matthew 25 says the goal of the good steward is to be found faithful but god is so good in his stewardship with us God says, I want you to be, I want you to steward my stuff. I own it all. I want you to steward it, and I want you to be good stewards. And when I come back, I want to be able to say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. And by the way, in the process of you being a good steward of my stuff, I want you to have unbelievable amounts of joy. I want you to be thrilled with joy in being a good steward of myself. I don't know if Anybody does hope chests anymore? I don't know if girls still do that. Where they a hope chest? Was they they put all their stuff in the that they were going to look forward one day to get married, and they would just put it in advance. They'd get stuff and they'd put it in the chest and hope they, one day they'd get married. They would open up the hope chest and all their dreams would come through for about a month or two, uh, and then they they would go on to wedded bliss. God says to us with His stewardship, He says, "I want you to I want you to be a good steward of all My stuff." I want to say to you, I want you to be faithful, and I want you to be joyful in it. I want you to send things ahead and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is what God wants for us, and one of the areas that God says that in many areas of our stewardship is in how we deal with money, as we talked about last week, and this week specifically about how we do in our giving. The Bible has a great emphasis on the subject of giving if you read the bible all through scripture there's exhortations on how you use your money there's examples of how we're supposed to use our money there's there's warnings like first timothy 6 7 and 19 as for the rich in this present age charge them not to be haughty not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on god who richly provides us with everything to enjoy They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future. The Bible gives all these exhortations, these examples, these warnings, and and practical suggestions all through Scripture about money. Jesus talked about money and giving and possessions more than he talked about heaven and hell in Scripture, But also he says this about how we steward our giving. It says this is to be a skill. It's a, it's a skill that we're supposed to have. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says we are to excel in grace giving, in, in the, excel in the grace of giving, which means that it's a learned skill. It's something that you grow in. It's something you advance in. It's something that you improve in. It's something that you can increase your joy in. And how you give back to God, what He has given to you, it, we're supposed to excel in it as Christians, and it's something that you can, you can grow in. If, so if you struggle with this whole idea of, I work so hard for my money. How is God supposed to let me live and I'm supposed to give and all these things? This is a, a skill that we grow in. It's a grace. It's a gift of grace that God has called us to. But why do we well, give? What are some purposes Forgiving, maybe some of these you knew, you know. This is why many of you already do this, and maybe some of these you are are, are new to the idea of giving back. But what are the, some of the reasons that we do it as believers? One of the reasons that many of you do it, and maybe we should do it, is the, the Bible teaches that it's the responsibility of the believer to give to the work of the Lord. All through Scripture, this is what we've seen in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the responsibility of the people of God. To take their earthly possessions, their money, and use them for the work of the God and for the church, which is... We can do this thankfully because the reality is, we give back to God, to the church. We're giving to Christ, the one we say that we love, the one who says he's the head of the church, the one that we say we will give our lives for. That's who we're giving back to. Who Jesus is the head of the church. We give with thanks, and we're giving in advancing His kingdom. Jesus's prayer and the Lord's prayer was to pray. He says, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be." done. And we, the way the will of God and the kingdom of God is advancing around the world today is through the church. This was God's design and God's plan. So many of you give that reason. You give because you know it's your responsibility as a believer to give to the work of God. A second reason that we give is the Bible teaches that you give because the church has the need of material support to fulfill its ministry. It's, there's a real great practicality in it. The Apostle Paul just got done in 1 Corinthians 15 speaking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the greatest chapters ever about the power of the resurrection, why we all have life through Jesus Christ. And as soon as he gets talking about the resurrection, now he says, Now concerning the collection of the saints. The Apostle Paul didn't see a difference between the great theological realities of the resurrection and the great practicalities of how we give and serve in the church because he understood that it takes material things to support and fulfill its ministry. And first, just... The fact that there's a building that we have, that if you enjoy heat when you come to church, if you enjoy lights, if you enjoy air conditioning, if you enjoy worship, if you enjoy hearing the word, if you enjoy relationships that are connected, if you enjoy just any ministry that has happened through this building, that building and everything that takes place comes through the people of God in this room regularly and only in this room and those who are part of this church giving giving to make that happen. So we give because it takes financial means to continue and to function to fill the ministry that God has. And the third reason is the Bible teaches that we give because we care for our hearts and we want to glorify God. In first Chronicles twenty nine, God called the people of Israel, his people, to give to the building of the temple. And and he talks about in First Chronicles twenty nine all the amounts, the amounts of money, the amounts of uh, diamonds and gold that were given to it. And when it was all done, when they had all gave, it says in verse twenty nine, the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. Greatly. So, when they gave for the, just the practical realities of building the temple of the Old Testament, when they gave it all, the people rejoiced because they did it willingly and they brought great, brought great joy. And the Bible teaches that we do this for our own hearts and because we want to glorify God. Proverbs 3 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. The reality is, you cannot outgive God. And somebody would say, well, I'd like to try, or I don't want to know if I want to test it. The reality is you, you, we can't. The problem is we, we, we struggle with knowing, um, then what do we do? H- how, do we, how do we do it? What is our responsibility? What should guide us in our giving? And 1 Corinthians 16 is one of the most practical passages in the, the Bible about the practical giving and just the practical guide on how the people of God are to give to the ministries of God and the kingdoms. In the kingdom of God, he lays out a number of principles. So the, the purpose and just some principles for giving. I mean, Paul just got done speaking in verse chapter 15 about the power and the wonder of the resurrection. And after that great height, he says, now, let's talk about that collection, and he gives some principles for giving. I'm just going to give five of them, and here's what I hope. Whenever you preach a sermon, there's always a hope. There's a a, so what that you want to have take place from it. Here's what I hope this morning. My hope this morning as you think about this, as we talk about this practical reality, I hope that there will be some conversations that take place this week between husbands and wives who will have a conversation about what does the Bible really say about giving? Really? Does it really say that about giving? Have we been giving the way that God has blessed us? I hope there's some conversations between individuals and you and God. Just looking over those things. I I hope that there is conversations with parents, with children. I hope that there's just conversations like am I doing what God has called me to do. I hope there's conversations, and I hope that there's commitments. I hope that people will see what the Bible says and just say, yes, this is how I want to have joy in my life. This is how God wants us to have joy. This is for our joy, and they'll say, I'm going to make some commitments that I was maybe afraid to make, and I hope that there are some celebrations that people would say, yeah, let's just keep doing this, because this is what God has called us to do. So what are some principles that he's given us for, for giving? The first one is this is just a practice for all churches. First one now and he says, Paul says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you are also to do. This was just what the apostle Paul taught all the churches to do. He taught all the churches, this is a universal practice for all churches, all the people of God. They are to give. They are there. This is what he all of them are to, not just one specific church, not just in a specific time, but all the churches were supposed to do was to be practiced by all. It's just a universal principle. And number two, it's a, they are to do it with a particular consistency. He says, on the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. There was just, he says, on the first day of each week week, particularly because back in those days they would get they daily, and so he would say to them, I want, you to stop, I want you to bring it on Sunday, which highlights that even in this time, the church started to move from Sabbath to Sunday where they celebrated the resurrection. They would gather on Sunday because that's when the, 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 the resurrection, and he would say, I want you just to bring it on the first day of the week with a sense of consistency, which means our giving is not supposed to be haphazard but it's just supposed to be regular. There's a particular consistency. Paul says, I want you to bring it on the first day of the week. I'm blessed because I was raised in a home from the time I was a a baby that you give to God. And my wife was raised in a home where you just give to God from the time we were children. There's never been an issue. If we were to have a fight about money and, our, and the idea of giving, the the fight would be over. Well, you're not going to give because the idea that we were always taught that this is what we were taught. This is how you do. You just give. You you weekly and you consistently and you give to God. So there's a particular consistency. And then he says this, is to be practiced by all individually. Verse two, he says, each of you, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside, which means it's personal. It's, it's not just, well, I hope that guy who makes a lot of money gives. it's, it's everybody. It's individual. It's to be practiced by each of us. All are to be involved. It's a very it's personal. It's a very personal thing, but it's to be practiced by all. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is standing across the street looking at the temple, and he's watching all these people bring their offerings. And he sees just wealthy people come in and they just drop it in. And then they just walk on. He sees other people walk in. And he sees a a woman who he knows is extremely poor. And she comes and she puts her two mites in. The disciples weren't there. And so they were coming back after what they were doing. And Jesus says to them, hey, look over there. I've been standing here watching all these people give the wealthy people have been putting a lot of money in, but the one who, who I want you to notice is that poor widow who gave everything. She gave out of her poverty, which means everybody's supposed to be involved. Jesus didn't say, look at those rich people just tossing a few things, and he, he, was, he was thrilled that they gave. And he also didn't run over and say, see that poor widow? She's got nothing. Let's go get that money out of there and give it back to her. He didn't do that. Because all people are to be involved. And he praised her for giving all. It's to be practiced by all individually. And it's to be planned. It says, in the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up during the week, which means... It's to be. It's a. It's a planned thing. It's a personal and planned thing. It's it, giving back to God is not to be driven by emotion. You don't. You don't come to church and say, "Man, I. I hope Paul preaches an interesting sermon. If he gives an interesting sermon, I'm going to tip him two extra bucks." Man, I hope that worship team really rocks it, because then I was going to start crying, and then the money's going to start flowing. That's not the way we give. That's not the way Paul set it up. He said, this is supposed to be a planned thing. It's personal. It's planned. It's between you and God, regardless. And hopefully there's a good sermon every once in a while, and the worship's good. But it's not based off of those things. It's based off of between you and God in a planned way. I mean, this is why... We as human beings, the, the, the dog that comes on the TV and the cage looks so sad, and as soon as that that comes on, those commercials, and they start playing the music, and they just want to reach out to your emotions, and then you're supposed to just start giving out money because the, the sad dog, and the cat, and the llama that's almost extinct, they appeal to the emotions. And Paul does not want us to give that way to God. He, he says, don't do it that way. He goes, I don't even want to, he goes, he knew his influence. And he says, when I come to the church, I don't want you to collect any money because I don't want you to be swayed by my great stories of ministry. I don't want you to be swayed by my personality. It says, just give as you have been planned. Put it aside during the week and then just bring it. It's not driven by emotion. Giving to God is driven by your love for God. It's driven by your emotion for love and joy for God. It's a planned Thing. And then he says, so that there will be no collecting, excuse me, so, so put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Our giving is to be, is practiced by churches, it's to be particularly consistent. It's to be practiced by all, it's to be a planned thing, it's should be proportionally and progressive. It says, as he may prosper prosper. A lot of people will say, well, what's the percentage? You know, How much should I give? That's not the question that we're supposed to ask, according to Paul. What we're supposed to say is we give proportionally to what God has given to us. We, we give, and if God has blessed you, then you give more and if God, in the season, is not blessing you, you give what you can, but you give in a way that you're giving sacrificially to God. It's, it's, and then if he, you, you start to do well, then you're supposed to give even more. This is how God designed it. It's to be proportional and progressive as He has prospered you. Someone said the spirited, directed giving is depending on the Holy Spirit of God to direct the gifts in the case of every person, and then being willing to abide by the results of this confidence, and trust. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, they were called to give a 10%. Then they had other points where many of those people, they were given a 22% amount. The New Testament doesn't talk about that, but it says give generously, give sacrificially, give joyfully. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure, our comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably given too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expeditions exclude them. This is how the Bible just says these are just principles that He guides us on. This is how we are to give. But you won't do it. You can have all the facts, you can have all the realities, you can know what God says, you can know the right thing to do, but most of you are adults. And most adults do what they want to do. So what motivates an adult who says they love Jesus to give? It's remembering and recognizing the privilege of giving. The the joy that God says comes from giving and the grace. Jesus himself said in Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, the one we say we love Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's a grace that God gives us, to ability to do this. It's a grace that God says, here, you, I'm going to give you something, and I want you to give it. I want you to see my kingdom grow because of it. I want you to give out of great abundance and joy because of the grace that you have been given. Sam Houston, who was the sixth governor of Texas, he was a wild man for many years. They call it, he was an extremely wild man. He came to faith in Jesus Christ. They named the city of Houston after him. There's military bases named after him. By November 19, 1854, Sam Houston got baptized. And he sent such a wild man that 250 people came to see his baptism and he gets into the water and he starts to take off his gold chain and his gold watch and the pastor says to him hey sam I want the people on the shore say hey sam I'll, I'll hold your water I'll hold your wallet so it doesn't get wet and sam Houston replied that's okay partner I think my wallet needs a little baptizing too And he gave after he became a Christian and gave and gave and gave because he was gripped by the grace of God. And it was the grace of God, not some sermon, not some rule, but it was the overwhelming grace of God that made him say, I want to give. I want to give abundantly so many people can be blessed with the good news Jesus Christ. This past week I was talking to an individual and he told me a story about his childhood. He's almost in his 80s and he said uh, his parents had a car and they're from this area and a brand new car and they said don't touch it when he was about 16. Don't touch it and that's the rule. Well, he touched it. He got his friends in the car, and they drove two and a half hours up north uh, to the North Shore to the beach. And he got there, and they were getting, had a great time at the beach. They went to get back in the car, and he lost the keys. So somehow he was able to call his parents, and he said they drove almost two hours They're standing by the car, him and his high school friends. He said, They pulled up. He said, My dad stuck his hand out with the other set of keys, dropped them in my hand, and kept driving. And they never said anything about it, ever. That's grace. I said, What did that do? He goes, it made me straighten up. It made me change my behavior. Grace did what grace was supposed to do. If you've seen the grace of God, have you been so gripped with the grace of God, what Jesus Christ did for you, that when you come down to communion, with our hands out receiving, we're not saying, I'm going to hold on over here. But we've been so gripped by the grace of what Jesus Christ did for us that we would just receive and we let grace do what grace is supposed to do and we progressively let it change our hearts so we can become generous, joyful givers so the kingdom of God can advance. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. How about you? Have you been gripped by the grace of God so much that being generous, giving sacrificially, giving consistently is a joy? A joy that you want to pursue. Ask God for that kind of grace. Let's pray. Never I bowed every I closed, so we prepare our hearts for communion. Jesus says to come. And so maybe this morning you are struggling. With that topic, or with any topic, and you think, I don't know if I should come, Jesus would say, come. If you say, I want to follow you, I, wanna, I want you to help me to obey in all areas, help me to trust you, Jesus says, come to me. Because he is for the weak, and he's for the lowly. And he gave his life for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the practicality of your word. And God, I pray that you would grip us so much with your grace, that we would be a joyfully generous, hilarious, treasure-seeking, in eternity people. Lord, thanks for your gift of Jesus Christ for us. Lord, thanks for dying on the cross. Thanks for the resurrection and the hope that we can have. And Lord, I pray you would draw us close to you as we come this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ alone, we encourage you to come receive the bread and receive the cup and remember what Christ has done for us.